Hi, I'm Andrea Lorian, Vermont Edition producer, and I just wanted to let you know that the podcast you're about to listen to has been edited for clarity and brevity. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. This is Vermont Edition. I'm Michaela Lafrac. Vermont is the latest state to propose new taxes on the state's richest residents. They're called wealth taxes. Vermont is not alone here. Nearly a dozen other states are attempting to add new taxes on assets and incomes for their wealthiest residents. The goal is to increase revenue and decrease income inequality. Two bills are currently under discussion in the House. One would increase taxes for people who have $10 million in assets, and the other would add a 3% income tax surcharge on income over $500,000. But there is a lot more detail to get into, and we are going to do that today with our guest, Emily Kornheiser. She's a Democratic representative from Brattleboro, the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, and the sponsor of these two bills. She's been a member of Vermont's House since 2019. Representative Kornheiser, welcome back to the program. Hi, so glad to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for joining us on what I know is a very busy time for the Ways and Means Committee right now. Oh, uh, Representative Kornheiser, let's uh, dive into each of these bills separately to start. The, one of them would tax people with more than $10 million in net worth on their capital gains, even if the gains haven't been realized yet. Uh, can you explain that to us? And, and what what are capital gains for someone who doesn't know? Absolutely. So Vermont's tax structure right now taxes earned income. That's the kind of income that you and I have, folks who work hourly wages, folks who have paychecks. That's earned income. Mm-hmm. We tax that income higher than we do unearned income. Um, the kind of income that is um, from investing in the stock market or other tools of managing money that the average Vermonter just doesn't even have access to. Hmm. And so this proposal says if a tax filer has more than $10 million in assets, that is $10 million, we are going to, if passed, it would apply an income tax, our usual income tax, to any growth in that $10 million. So anytime that those assets appreciated or increased in value, that increase, that margin, would be taxed as income, because it is. Hmm. And this is sort of a, a first-of-its-kind bill, right? Like no other states are currently assessing any taxes on an individual's net worth or unrealized capital gains. Yeah, I'd love to take a step back if we can, because I think there are bills like this all across the country being introduced right now. We know multiple bills um, have been introduced at the federal level by our own Bernie Sanders, by Elizabeth Warren, by um, our president, Biden. And these are conversations happening internationally as well. But and to get a little geeky for a minute, if you don't mind. Sure, let's um, do it. (laughs) The history of taxes in Vermont is the history of income in Vermont. So we used to tax the number of sheep you had and the number of fence posts you had. And then we started taxing property, more in terms of sort of houses and acreage. And then more Vermonters um, had sort of money that was available to them, resources that were available to them through income, like these paychecks that I referenced. 
But what we haven't caught up with is that the wealthiest Vermonters, for them to pay their fair share, they're going to need to be paying taxes on their assets rather than their income, because that is where wealth sits in America right now. And that level of wealth is being shielded from taxation under our current laws. Well, it, I, I, that's helpful. And I, I do want, though, you to, to explain this idea of taxing unrealized gains, though, because mm-hmm. I think that might be confusing to, to some of us who are not as steeped uh, in this verbiage. Um, an unrealized gain is is like a, an increase in the value of, of an asset, like a, like a home, perhaps, that, that the person, the owner, hasn't even sold yet. Is that is that right? So we actually do that with property already, right? Mm-hmm. When the value of your property increases, you pay, often pay a higher tax on that, right? We pay taxes on the value of a property before it's sold. Um, however, this is less about property and more about intangible assets, such as stock market, trusts. There are so many ways that the wealthiest few have learned to manage their assets so that they never need to be sold and taxes never need to be paid. Mm. And so there's a movement across America and across the globe. Um, folks lobbied for this at Davos last month, which was you know, a gathering of the wealthiest people in the world. And to say that this is how wealth is held now, so this is how we must tax it. Mm. Well, and the reason, Michaela, that we need to really move to this form of taxation is that when the wealthiest Vermonters do pay their fair share, we can increase the amount of revenue that's available for public goods and services so we can make our state better for everyone, including the wealthy. I know that on the promos for the show, um, there was this really fun piece where you um, mentioned that we were doing this for the state coffers. And I just want to offer that it's not for the state coffers. It's so that Vermonters can get their needs met at the end of the day. Mm, Yes. Well, coffers that are then used to uh, support all of the different expenditures that the legislature funds. Um, The the second bill here, Representative Kornheiser, would add a 3% marginal tax on incomes that are greater than $500,000 a year. So for somebody who is uh, an individual who's earning more than $500,000 a year. Uh, how much do you project this could generate for the state? So we're asking wealthy Vermonters to pay a higher tax, an increased percent on income over $500,000. We did this previously in another time when Vermont really needed resources. Governor Snelling, more than a decade ago, asked wealthy Vermonters to do this very same thing, and they did. It was a bipartisan, nonpartisan Um, surcharge on the wealthiest Vermonters. And we did it in order to make sure that, again, government works for everyone because we need sufficient revenues to pay for the kinds of services that you and I need. And so this is, again, a increase in the percentage of the income tax for just income over $500,000. Well, we're getting a, a question in from Brian, who's in Southern Vermont. And Brian writes, I would appreciate it if a minute could be spent explaining why this is being called a surcharge rather than increasing the rates on the uppermost income tax brackets or creating a new tax bracket. Brian goes on to write, I'm wondering if consideration is being given as a as to who would be impacted by this increase. It seemed to me that it would fall largely on medical professionals who we have struggled to attract to our state and small business owners who we would likely 
uh, who we would like to foster as critical employers in Vermont. So I think maybe the implication there is that it, it would tax wealthy individuals, but not those, you know, billionaire gazillionaires flying around in private jets. Maybe it would, it would, it would tax people who, who the state is trying to retain. So I introduced both bills because it's important to have a conversation about the relationship between them. There mm. are quite a few incredibly wealthy Vermonters with significant assets, again, over $10 million. And then there are a significant number of folks filing taxes in Vermont who make more than $500,000. And we are a month into the session. We're taking testimony from a variety of stakeholders. And we're talking to colleagues about how the revenue can improve regular Vermonters' lives. And so as we do that and we continue taking testimony, we're understanding what is the value of using a surcharge. I think originally the bill was introduced with a surcharge to harken back to those times when Vermonters really came together to raise the revenues we needed with the Snelling surcharge. Mm. But it is also possible and perhaps as we work through in committee, we would, you know, restore the top tax bracket that we um, removed about a few years ago. Mm. Well, if you're just joining us, we are currently speaking with Representative Emily Kornheiser, the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee in Vermont and the sponsor of two bills uh, that would uh, increase some taxes in, in some form, which we're getting into right now, on the state's richest residents. Uh, Representative Kornheiser, as you mentioned, you know Vermont is not alone in these efforts. A number of other states um, have been and continue to push for wealth taxes. And Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts pushed for a federal wealth tax when she was running for president a couple years ago in 2020. And now last year, legislators in seven different states uh, all introduced wealth taxes, but none of them got out of committee. I, I'm curious what you learned from watching what happened in those other states and how how what has been going on around the country is affecting you know the types of um, proposals you're putting together here in Vermont. One of the things that I appreciate so much about serving in the legislature here in Vermont, and one of the reasons I ran for office is because I want government to work. I just want it to work well. And I think that's what so many of my colleagues do too. And because we are such a small state and such an intimate state, I think we can really bring the voices of average Vermonters into the state house, the kind of Vermonters who want their roads fixed so they don't have to buy new tires or um, every week, or the kinds of Vermonters who are struggling right now to care for their families and need more state programs to cover that. And so in Vermont, it's so easy to bring the voices of average Vermonters, you know, in Bernie parlance, right, we call that the 99%, to bring those people's voices into the state house to say that we want the wealthiest to pay their fair share. Right now, when we look at our tax structure, because that's the way, what the Ways and Means Committee does, right? We look across our tax structure to make sure it's fair. And what we see is that middle-class Vermonters are paying more than their fair share right now. They're paying a higher percentage of their income than the wealthiest Vermonters. And so we just want everyone to have a fair shake so we can have a Vermont that works for all of us. But is it concerning to you that there were seven other states that just last year proposed wealth taxes and none of those made it out of committee where the bills in Vermont currently stand? 
I think Vermont has led on many issues, and I also think that Vermont is, in our state house, we are less beholden to special interests than some other states might be. And so I really have a lot of faith in our ability to work together to make something like this happen if we do decide it is in the best interest of Vermonters. Mm. Well, ahead of today's show, we reach out to Governor Phil Scott, who has uh, in the past said that he does not support the idea of a wealth tax. Um, and through a spokesperson, he told us, I'm quoting here, Vermont is already one of the highest tax states in the nation with one of the most progressive tax structures. The focus in Montpelier should be on how to reduce the tax burden, not hike them even more like we saw last year when the legislature imposed several regressive tax and fee hikes on already overburdened Vermonters. Um, And he also voiced concerns that wealthy Vermonters are going to leave the state uh, because of a tax like this. Now, we are going to get into that a bit more later in the program um, with an academic from Cornell who's been studying that idea and as he says, a a myth of wealthy people leaving because of taxes like these ones that are being proposed in Vermont. Um, But I'm curious, Representative Kornheiser, what what your thoughts are about uh, Governor Scott's uh, statements about how uh, we should be reducing the tax burden, not hiking them more. Gosh, Michaela, there's so much to say there. (laughs) I really want to strengthen our fraying infrastructure. I want a government where someone answers the phone when I call or when my neighbor calls. And I want to keep on building a tax system that works for everyone. So in the last few years, we have increased our earned income tax credit, we have increased our child tax credit, and we've done that so that Vermonters can make it work every day. But right now, It's time for the wealthiest Vermonters to pay their fair share so we can build that Vermont who works for everyone who lives here. Mm. Well, we got a question just now from Tim who writes, I support a tax on the wealthiest Vermonters, but why does Vermont continue to tax people on Social Security, disability, and other programs? If the wealthiest Vermonters are taxed, shouldn't Vermont's poorest populations be relieved of tax? especially given that they bear the burdens of having such limited incomes. Um, Representative Kornheiser, it sounds like Tim is is proposing an idea there of, of reducing uh, taxes on certain programs like Social Security. You, you know this area better than I do. Has that ever been a topic of discussion? Michaela, we are working on lowering the burden of taxes on the lowest income Vermonters every day. The majority of Social Security benefits are not taxed in Vermont. Um, And we try to do our best, again, to get into the weeds a little bit, to make sure that our tax refunds and our tax rebates are about the total income that a Vermonter has or declares rather than a particular category of income. And that's why these two proposals to tax the wealthiest residents to increase the amount of revenue available for goods and services, why both of those are not about a particular type of income, but really set to a very specific value um, to make sure that we are taxing the wealthiest Vermonters so everyone can pay their fair share. Mm. Well, before we take a break, let me share a couple other emails that we've gotten in during today's show. Bill from Warren writes, someone who has $10 million in assets is not exactly Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. In fact, $10 million will pull in people who are not even in the top 1% of high net worth Americans. 
and then Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman wrote in and wrote, we are currently facing a huge series of societal and structural deferred maintenance due to tax cuts for the wealthy that have been in place since Reaganomics started 40 years ago. Trickle down has failed. I support the policy change that Chairwoman Kornheiser and other advocates are pushing for. By By deeply increasing the wealth of a few, there are many who are now paying more in splinter taxes. Our schools are crumbling and we face a shortage of affordable housing, among other issues. Oh, Representative Kornheiser, uh, this morning I uh, hopped on the phone with Senator Keisharam Hinsdale, who's a Chinden County Democrat who serves on the Senate Finance Committee. And she told me that one of her main goals this session is to increase housing stock and ease people's property tax burdens. Property tax, as you well know, a big issue right now, and we'll get into that more soon. But but first, Senator Ram Hinsdale said that, you know, she supports the idea of raising revenue to those ends, but she does have some concerns about this particular proposal around around wealth taxes. Let's let's give a listen to what she said. When you are going to increase someone's tax, especially a really targeted tax, people want to know what it's for. Now, a lot of people are looking at me, not just because I sit on finance, but because I am seeking uh, resources to increase our housing stock. And Mm -hmm. I have a revenue proposal built into my housing bill that would double the property transfer tax on second homes. And those are people I believe could afford to pay a one-time tax that helps fund first-generation homeowners. I think Vermonters tend to support taxes when they feel like there is a tax that's related to what is being funded. 3% just kind of glued on top for those who make more than $500,000 is not a very surgical approach. Um, And like I said, it it captures uh, a third of who it captures are seniors and a third of who it captures are people making a one-time transaction that represents a big life change. So, you know, I think we should be looking more at much more connected policies. Mm. Well, that was Senator Keisha Rahm Hinsdale. Uh, Representative Emily Kornheiser, what are your thoughts there? Especially, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of different elements. Let's start with the, this uh, idea about the, the revenue from this tax going to the general fund instead of, as you know, I guess could be possible towards a very specific uh, other um, uh, other initiative. So my committee, the Committee on Ways and Means, Mm -hmm. that I am so glad to serve on, we don't decide where money is necessarily spent. That's other committees' jobs. But certainly I am imagining that as the session moves forward, that the significant needs that we have around housing and housing construction and housing services, flood relief, our school system, all of those issues will become clearer And we will make decisions about where any new revenue would need to go. I think housing is a perfect example that when we invest up front in a strategic way over a number of years, say five years or a decade, maybe even 20 years, when we do that, the entire state is stronger, folks' needs are met, our economy grows, and those revenues then return to Vermont to be used for other things. And so I think housing is a perfect example of exactly where we would like to see the revenues from a proposal like this go. Mm. 
Um, Senator Ram Hinsel also had a, another point at the end there about um, uh, how these taxes would um, would target folks who are making kind of like a one-time big life change. I think she was referring to you know somebody maybe selling their house when they're a senior, something like that. Um, is there a, any potential issue there? So that topic comes up a lot. It's similar from the wealth flight argument. Um, and similarly, the data doesn't tend to bear it out. So what we see is that if you look at sort of the curve, and it's hard to explain graphs on the radio, but I'm going to do my best here if you can bear with me. Um, what we see is that folks might not be uh, over a threshold every year, but it's not that they were living in poverty and then all of a sudden they had, you know, $10 million or all of a sudden they had $750,000. People tend to bump up and down um, back and forth over those thresholds, and that's why we use marginal taxes. Well, let's go to the phones because we have a caller who, who has a question on, on just this topic. Alan in Craftsbury is on the line. Alan, you're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, hi, thanks. I, I, I'm, I'm in favor of a wealth tax, um, but I think more importantly, perhaps, is, is um, and, and probably simpler to administer, is a, a property tax surcharge on real estate that's more expensive than the average housing in the state. So make that progressive. The more expensive the property, the higher the surcharge. And that might make some people sell. And I think that'd be fine. Um, if they're living in housing that's really expensive, they have options. And if they don't care to live here, if the rich don't care to live here, if they're going to be taxed enough to help solve the state's problems, they can move out and make space for somebody else. Hmm. Uh, Representative Kornheiser, has that been part of the discussion? We have the House has actually passed something that is casually referred to as a mansion tax a number of times over to the Senate, um, and it hasn't been picked up yet. And I just want to take this minute to um, talk about taxing second homes because it's something that comes up over and over again as I talk to Vermonters about school taxes or about wealth taxes. And just want to name that right now, the structure of our tax system, the way our grand lists are organized, the way our homestead and non-homestead tax system is set up, it's actually not structurally possible to tax second homes yet. And so a lot of work is going to need to happen over the next couple of years to make that even possible. And that might mean to be sort of more strategic and surgical in how we use property taxes. So that could mean lowering property taxes for, say, a rental property in order to incentivize more rentals. And it might mean increasing the property taxes on a second home in order to make sure that folks are paying their fair share. Hmm. But all of that is, unfortunately, for all of the Vermonters who are writing to me about it um, <laughs> and reaching out about this and perhaps calling into this show, that's still a few years out and hmm. is going to require um, a decent amount of legwork from our Department of Taxes. Hmm. Well, when we were putting together this show, we were thinking, who do we want to hear from? And um, one, one category was, we want to hear from the very wealthiest Vermonters. What do they, what do they think about this? Now, obviously, it's, it's pretty rare to hear a very wealthy individual vocally speaking out against a policy like this. Those conversations typically happen behind closed doors for the, the reasons one might guess. But there are some wealthy individuals who, who like the idea 
of being taxed more, including Ben Cohen of Ben and Jerry's fame. Uh, in 2017, he and his co-founder, Jerry Greenfield, along with more than 400 millionaires and billionaires across the country, signed a letter urging Congress not to pass tax cuts that they said could exacerbate income inequality. So I, I took the opportunity to call Ben Cohen the other day to get his thoughts on this new proposal for Vermont. Yo, Michaela, what a pleasure. <laughs> you, you got me on vacation in Florida. Oh, well, well, well. Florida's top of mind right now. So <laughs> yeah, taxes. This, what, the idea is that uh, you raise the taxes on rich people and they're all going to move to Florida? Yeah, are you doing it? Yeah. Is that what you're calling to tell me? <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> uh, I, I think a wealth tax makes a lot of sense. I think that, uh, you know, people who were either lucky enough or fortunate enough or worked hard enough or inherited enough to have that kind of money, uh, really need to use it to help other members of the community. And, you know, I think for Vermont, Especially now, now that we've passed uh, out Act 76, which provides essential education for children from zero to six. This is the time when those of us that are able to need to fund that uh, that bill for somebody with all that money to be walking around while while there's all these kids suffering. This doesn't make sense to me. You know, the, the people that are paying that tax can walk around feeling proud that they have helped a whole lot of people in their community. Even if we institute this tax, it might not necessarily raise revenues in the ways that the people who are purporting it right now say that it will. It's becoming easier and easier to move your residency or manipulate your income. Um Curious what your thoughts are on that. I think people that are living in Vermont or have ties to Vermont, they have family in Vermont, they have friends in Vermont, they have a life in Vermont, they have businesses in Vermont. I, I think it's a bunch of actually. I, I, I don't think that uh, people are going to leave the state uh, just because they're their taxes are going to go up. All in all, it's a small, it's a small fraction of you know somebody's expenses. Is there a line where you would look at Vermont's tax structure and say, you know what, I I got to get out of here. It's not this isn't worth it to me. People go around saying uh, they're Vermonters and they love Vermont, and you know if 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 an incremental expense on their taxes is going to drive them out of Vermont. Uh, you know, they didn't really want to be here that much anyhow. And you have faith uh, as somebody who would be taxed more that your your tax dollars would be used efficiently, go to good use in Vermont. If they end up getting used to fund Act 76, I feel great about it. I think what that's if, the way what, to do it. What if it. they don't? What if they just go into the general fund? You know, I I would pay it. I would not move out of state. I would not be as happy about it. That was Ben Cohen of Ben & Jerry's. We spoke late last week. 
And I do want to clarify that the Act 76, the, the early childhood education bill that is now law, It's the plan is to pay for it with a, a payroll tax. Um, and just to be very clear, Representative Kornheiser, this, uh, the wealth taxes that we're discussing today um, would not go, at least right now, directly towards that bill in any way. Yes? Yeah. And frankly, I wanted to pay for Act 76 with an income tax, but... Um, hmm. I'm, in fact, not in charge of the universe. So it seems like Ben, ben and I are on the same page. What I'm very f- struck by, I think what this would, though, this new proposal would go to pay for something that would be meaningful and strengthen the state and the state's ability to care for each other in the same way that Act 76 did. What I was so struck by in listening to Ben was your previous question about why do we think we can do it here in Vermont when other states haven't yet? Mm. And for me, it's that, you know, one of our most famous wealthy Vermonters was willing to jump on the radio and say yes. It was that people live here because they care about the strength of our communities and our natural resources and showing up for each other. And that's just the kind of wealthy Vermonters who are going to say, yes, I do want to pay my fair share. Hmm. Well, let's bring in some more Vermonters into the conversation. We have Jim on the line. Uh, Jim, you're on the air. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, I, in listening to your program today, Michaela, you've been, there's been talk about raising taxes on the wealthy. Mm-hmm. And I think that mischaracterizes uh, what's really going on because it, really what we're talking about is having parity um, for the tax rate that w- the wealthy people pay uh, as opposed to um, the average uh, Vermont citizen. So I, I, I would just like to see th- that uh, identified as, as not really a tax increase, but rather bringing something into, into parity. Mm, okay, so it's an issue of messaging there. Representative Kornheiser? I think that's exactly what the fair share is. It's that we're all paying our fair share. And when we shift our tax structure in the way proposed in these two bills, it makes that more possible. It means that everyone is paying the percentage of income that sort of aligns with their ability to pay, mm. exactly as the caller said. We have another call from Mark in Fletcher right now. Mark, you're on the air. What's your comment or question? Hello. Thank you for taking my call, and I appreciate the conversation. Um, The three uh, points uh, the representative, uh, Ms. Tronheiser, uh, made about uh, community need and change that has happened, especially in the last 10 years, property have skyrocketed and put a lot of uh, starting out families and people in tough situations about just home. And I think that's a huge issue. It's being lobbied heavily throughout the country by the real estate uh, business. uh, And we can see the effect in Vermont, um, lack of affordable housing for working people. Mm. And also education. Education is our biggest asset for the future. And uh, being a long-time educator in the Burlington public school system, I've had to say we failed our children and our future miserably by how we funded 
uh, public education. I hope, I know she doesn't have a lot to say about where the money goes, but I hope the intent is to improve those two aspects of Vermont life that has taken such a big hit mm. in the last five years because of uh, you know, COVID, weather, whatever. Right. Um, well, Mark, I'm going to jump in just because we only have a few minutes left, but I, I really appreciate your call. And uh, that does help us transition, uh, at least briefly, Representative Kornheiser, to um, another type of tax on the table right now under discussion, property taxes, as, as Mark brought up, and their part in funding Vermont schools. Uh, lawmakers are discussing rewriting the state's education tax laws that would lead at least some districts to cut down on their spending. And if this proposal passes, some school budget votes will be postponed until later in the spring. This is all going to be, uh, that was that was a very brief overview of what's going on. We're going to dive into it in depth tomorrow on Vermont Edition, so I hope everyone could tune in. But I know you're right in the center of those discussions. Can you give us the latest on, on where these discussions are? I think in The parallel between the two conversations is that we want to make sure that our tax system aligns each of our ability to pay in a fair way across the state to make sure that we're building a Vermont that works for all of us. Our schools are the heart of our democracy. They're the heart of our communities. They're how we care for our kids. They're how families find each other. And we need to make sure that the way we are funding them is also possible for the Vermonters who kick in their property taxes every year. We have this extraordinary system in Vermont where schools and communities and um, supervisory unions or school districts make a decision about a budget every year. They vote on that budget, and then all of those budgets get added up And the legislature raises exactly enough revenue to cover those costs. It's not a very usual way of budgeting, right? Usually we raise revenue and then we spend what we have. Or, you know, at the state level, certainly the federal level is a whole other kettle of fish that we're not going to get into. But we have this extraordinary system in Vermont where we trust local communities to say how much they need and then trust that Vermont property taxpayers can pick up that bill. And right now we are experiencing a perfect storm. And I really think it's um, helpful to compare it to the kind of natural disasters that we actually see in a storm, in that we had all of these different things happen at once. We saw a significant increase in healthcare costs. We saw a significant increase in student need right in the aftermath of the pandemic. We saw teachers, um, we saw a teacher shortage and teachers struggling after working through the pandemic and so needing higher pay. We've seen the cost of heating schools and school transportation going up and all of those and then the cost of school construction going up. And so all of these costs were all increasing simultaneously and our existing tax system was not necessarily as nimble as it could have been to sort of catch up with it. And so we are spending this session making a series of changes to make sure that Vermonters can continue to fund our schools in a way that works for them. 
Well, we are going to, as I said, dive even deeper into that discussion on Vermont Edition tomorrow. But Representative Kornheiser, thank you for for getting us started and for talking us through the proposed wealth taxes. I'm sure we'll return to this discussion soon on the show. Thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Our next guest studies wealth taxes, along with other policies to moderate income inequality. Cristobal Young is an associate professor of sociology at Cornell University. He's the author of The Myth of the Millionaire Tax Flight, How Place Still Matters for the Rich. Cristobal, let's let's dive right into it. According to your research, when you tax wealthy people in the ways we've been discussing, do they move out of state? Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I've been looking at this question for a long time, and I draw on the best available data and access to confidential IRS tax returns on every individual top income earner in the country um, and every state in the country over a dozen years. And You know, a few facts just sort of stand out really clearly is that first, high-income people have low migration rates. In general, migration declines with income. The more money you make, the less likely you are to move across state lines. So it's a misperception that, that high-income folks are really mobile. The most mobile people are low-income earners who are struggling to find a way to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. High-income folks uh, travel a lot, but moving your home is very different than travel. And I think that's a source of confusion for a lot of folks when they talk about this. The second piece is that, you know, of the millionaires, of top income earners who move, very few of them are actually moving for tax purposes. And we can tell this simply because there's only a very weak tendency for them to move to lower tax states than the ones they started from. So, for example, moving from Vermont to New Hampshire, for example. You know, this happens. Um, and it happens a little bit more than in the other direction, but, they, but the difference is very small. So in most part, uh, the reason why people move around the country really doesn't have much to do with taxes at all. Mm-hmm. So, so you put these two things together, and there's not very many people, high-income folks, who are moving, and very few of the ones that are moving are moving for tax purposes. Mm-hmm. So it basically leaves you with an assessment that you know, the taxes are really an important part of why high-income people move around the country. Mm. Well, we we did receive a couple of emails ahead of today's show from folks who, who anecdotally um, have heard one thing or another about whether uh, the wealthiest individuals will move away based on uh, estates taxes. Richard from East Dorset wrote, Vermont already has a progressive tax on the wealthy, one of the highest in the nation. The legislators have a thirst for taxing and will justify this new tax after being told by experts that there will be little impact on the stock of millionaires in the state. These wealthy save money and maintain their roots by living in Vermont for just under six months and become and becoming non-residents. I know five couples that have made this transition in the last few years. Um, do, do you get this, this kind of uh, feedback to your research often? For sure, for sure. I mean... Um so whenever a high-income person moves to a low-tax state, you know, famous whatever you know, a famous person does this, it gets big news stories. Um, and then, but when the opposite happens, like for example, when LeBron James moved to California, nobody said it was because he wanted to pay a higher income tax. You know, so there's 
very one-sided interest in these anecdotes. Basically, when you hear an anecdote that sounds like tax migration, people basically, their ears perk up and they basically say, see, yeah, that's what I thought was going on. There you have it. Evidence of what I was thinking about. And when you see the opposite case happening, and there's lots of opposite cases happening, high-income folks who move to higher tax states, it's about a third of all top-income migrations within the U.S. in the tax stand. When you see these opposite cases, people just go like, oh, hmm, I don't know what to think about that. And it just doesn't stick. It doesn't get any news stories about it, and everyone sort of forgets about it. So this is a problem. This is why you need science, basically, because we need to keep track of every case, people moving to high-tax states, people moving to low-tax states. Everyone's sort of paying attention to the movements into low-tax states where people aren't paying much attention to those opposite migrations, and we need to consider both. That's how we get evidence of whether or not, in general, high-income people are moving uh, to lower-tax states. Mm. And again, you know, I would say, like, my findings are that it does happen sometimes, and you can certainly find anecdotes and examples, but it's just the magnitude in which this happens is very small. So... Um, your caller mentioned five individuals, but, you know, there's a lot of high-income earners in Vermont. So, you know, my guess is that it's, you know, still a very small fraction of, of the tax base that, that's doing this even sort of half-time thing. Mm. And uh, what age do people typically make these moves? And why, why is that important in a discussion of wealth taxes? Yeah, I mean, in general, migration is a young person's game. So if you look at migration across the life course, migration rates typically are very high for basically recent college graduates are the most mobile people in the country. They have very high migration rates when they're young and they're fresh out of college. People with more education who, who are starting their careers are very mobile. And these people have migration annual migration rates around 12% a year compared to 2.4% for the millionaire set. So migration rates are like four or five times higher than the migration rates of rich people. Hmm. Um, now, it's interesting to think that these folks are settling down and then migration rates drop off really fast. So... You know, by the time people get to about 40, everyone, highly educated people who didn't complete high school, they all have basically the same very low migration rates. Mm. So where you see migration happening is among young, highly educated people who haven't settled down in their career yet. They're still making decisions about where they're going to live, where they're going to start their career, where they're going to raise a family. Um, and these people are also not making very much money. Mm. But they're making migration decisions uh, about where they're going to live you know, 20, 30, 30 years before they hit their peak income earning phase. Top income earners, or the average age of a top income earner is about 50 years old. Mm. Okay? The average age of a mover is about 30. So there's a two-decade gap between people are moving when they're young, when they're not in those high tax brackets, and they don't have those really high incomes. And they're setting down roots, and you can see them very continuously. It's just migration just settles down so much in the data over the life course. So that by the time people are facing these high tax brackets, they're at their peak earnings phase, they have really low migration rates. They're mm. basically already put down roots in their state. Mm. We're getting a call in from Bob in Ferrisburg. I want to make sure I get in because I think he has a question for you. Bob, you're on the air. Go ahead. 
Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Um, so I listened to Dr. Young's testimony to Representative Kornheiser's committee last week. And one thing that I noticed in the data was that much of the data that he presented appeared to be from the 20 teens and, and earlier. And, and obviously, in the time between then and now, we've had the pandemic, which has uh, caused some, some social and economic changes around remote work and, and people's mobility and things like that. And I was yeah. curious if his data analysis has sort of continued into the current time and uh, shown any differences in the propensity of people to migrate for uh, any reason, but obviously in this context, the the wealth tax reasons. Mm. Thanks for that question, Bob. Uh, Christabel Young. Yeah, so definitely this research has continued to be ongoing. The book was published, you know, six six years ago, um, but ongoing data access. So all these analyses and, and everything I'm talking about, we've continued up to 2021, basically, and we'll be doing another refresh. Um, so basically, you know, the one, two big things have happened since, since I wrote the book about this, which is the Trump tax bill, which, which basically ra- effectively raised taxes on high-income earners uh, in every sort of high-income state, high-income high tax state. So Vermont would be an example of that. Um, even though I wouldn't quite characterize Vermont as one of the highest tax states in the country, but you know, it's a little bit above average. But um, but high income earners in these blue states were really targeted by the Trump tax bill and, and raised their tax rates and gave them more of an incentive, more of a tax reason to move to a low tax state. And the effect we saw of that was basically zero. There weren't any extra movers. Um, now the people that moved, it is sort of a, a subtle result because among people who did who were the same rate of moving, people did become a little bit more likely to move to a Texas or a Florida a low tax state. So you know we do see that people are you know there's a small set of of top income earners that are sensitive to these tax rates, but they're small in the kinds of ways that affects behavior doesn't really fit. I also noted. Uh Christabel Young, that um, in your research, it shows that almost all of the tax migration moves are to one low-tax state, Florida. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> where, uh, ben, where Ben was calling in from. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. You know, Florida has been growing on its own. It's been gaining, you know, basically all the evidence for tax migration in the U.S. Um, is migration into Florida. And, um, and, you know, there's eight other states in the U.S. that don't have an income tax system that charge no state income taxes. And none of those states benefit from having a low income tax regime. It's only one state. That's Florida. And Florida is a particular case. And so it looks like that Florida is very difficult to replicate. And in general, all these other states are basically just leaving a lot of money on the, on the table that they could raise taxes on high income earners mm-hmm. a lot, um, but are choosing not to. Chris Bell Young, Associate Professor of Sociology at Cornell University. Thanks so much for talking to us about your research today. Thanks for taking the time to have me.